Hit it, hit it. Yeah. Okay, uh, hello, I'm Tim. And I'm James. And this is Quasicast. Um, so, today uh, we're discussing how we can save the world by coating buildings in rotten cabbage. Yep, yep. <laughs> Sounds perfectly sensible to me. Plausible. No, but uh, it, very plausible. This is uh, a real product, as crazy as it sounds. Uh, this is uh, Aureus, which is the recipient of one of this year's Dyson Awards. Um, so the, the the Dyson Award is nominally a, a prize that's given every year to young innovators who create world-changing inventions, I suppose, is the tagline that they would use. Yes. And this particular one stuck out to us. It, it was um, quite widely reported in the British press a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I, th- I think best place to start is just to summarise as best we can what this is supposed to be. Sure. Uh, would you like me to uh, have a go at uh, the one-line elevator pitch? Yeah, you can try the elevator pitch. Um, yeah, so you, well, I'll, you can I'll, piece use, it together. I'll use the elevator pitch right from the inventor's mouth. Um, right, okay. Which is that uh, Aureus uh, is actually a material or technology that allows other devices to harvest ultraviolet light and convert it into electricity. Uh, Aureus is based on a plastic material, so it can be formed into different shapes. So essentially, he's uh, claiming to have created a product which uh, can allow us to harvest light which was previously unharvestable, the ultraviolet light, um, and convert it into visible light, uh, which can then be uh, harvested and converted into electrical energy uh, using standard photovoltaic cells or um, solar energy cells, uh, as they're known. Yeah. And... I, I suppose one of the bits that's missing from that, which was a key part of how it was reported in the British press, is that this plastic material is supposed to be made from byproducts from rotting vegetables. That um, is correct. And introducing that kind of starts us on one of the issues that we both kind of had with this product when we were reading about it, is that there's a lot of different justifications for why this product is green uh green tech i suppose um so yeah there's there's this idea um obviously one of the main sources of renewable energy is through photovoltaics it's probably i don't know james what would you say do you think photovoltaics is is one of the more promising green technologies alongside uh, for, for energy generation alongside things like wind power Yes, well, I mean, I'm no expert, but based on my, uh, you know, uh, l- watching various new media coverage over the last two decades of yeah. photovoltaic cells, the you know the efficiency has been increasing in leaps and bounds, and um, I think calculations show that you know typically, you know, the, the, it, seemingly they always uh, give it in uh, units of uh, of U.S. states, but it's you know you could cover <laughs> yeah. like one U.S. state in solar cells and and power the entire of the uh, world's energy needs, and you know it's a, it's it's one of those things that I feel like the technology is there. It's very much a case of political will at this point. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I mean we talk about that a lot. And I remember giving a a, a presentation uh, a couple of months ago about. Um, technological innovations that really can save the world and just saying it like that probably tells you everything you need to know about what i think about this um 
But yeah, that was one of the things I used in that talk was saying that you only need to cover one third of Texas in solar panels and you can power the entire world. And of course, that sounds like a lot, but uh, one third of Texas is less than 1% of global ag agricultural land. So it's really not that much. No. But one of the big problems in boosting the efficiency of solar panels is making sure that they're as broadband as possible. So can you uh, explain what broadband means? Yeah, sure. So um, most, well, all really so solar panels work in some way um, by using a, a, a dye, basically. So, so dyes have color because they have uh, a band gap, a, a difference in energy between different states. And when light interacts with that dye, it causes some excitation. Now, in, in a dye, you have that excitation and then it relaxes and that process gives it color. That's a really bad explanation, but I'm not here to, you know, we're not talking about dye. Um, but when, it, when that's in a solar panel, you can take that excitation and you can pull those charges that are created in that excitation process apart. And that gives you usable current. Um, but... Those dyes are only going to be sensitive to specific parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. So if you want to create a really good solar panel, you need to uh, engineer materials that absorb light over a very broad range. So in terms of color, you know, they need to absorb blue light as efficiently as they absorb red light. Now, people have gotten very good at making these broadband photovoltaic cells. You know, it's it's like you said, really been advancing very fast. But um, there are regions of the EM spectrum outside what we can see visibly that include infrared and ultraviolet, which is the focus of this. And ultraviolet light is much higher energy than the light that we can see. And it's quite, it, it, it's generally missed by solar panels. It's not, it's not absorbed. And so you don't get any, any energy from it. Now, what this invention is proposing to do is they're supposed to be creating this plastic panel and then light shines on the plastic panel and interacts with this dye and it fluoresces. So it takes that UV light and absorbs it and then re-emits light at a different wavelength so that it's in the optical band, you know, the visible light. And you can then supposedly harvest that with a conventional photovoltaic. Um, I would... Now, um, sorry. Yeah. I no, would, go for it. I would uh, say this raises... Uh, I would argue one of the core concerns that any reviewer would have of this piece of technology, which is that the core process by which um, uh, light is, uh, as they put it in the uh, James Dyson Award uh, uh, summary, although incorrectly downgraded from ultraviolet <laughs> light to uh, visible spectrum light, um, the uh, that that process, as as with most processes in in physical reality uh, has an efficiency um yeah. and uh we don't really know based on the available information what the efficiency of that process is uh in this case and if the efficiency is not very large i you know only a small proportion of the ultraviolet light is converted into visible light then of course the product isn't going to be very effective um so exactly that's... yeah now i've uh actually published papers in on the topic of uh photovoltaics before and the one thing that i learned from that experience is if you go to serious scientists and engineers working in this field 
and you try to publish some new material or some new mechanism for a photovoltaic and you don't very clearly uh, lay down exactly what the efficiency of your material is and a whole load of other information like the you know the the um, zero current bias that that you get the the uh, maximum fluence there's a whole catalog basically of critical information that people who really work in this field need and if you don't give them all of that information they will take you to the flipping cleaners they they have you know that it, it's and there's a very good reason for that because this field you know it, it's critical creating renewable energy creating a really good photovoltaic something that really revolutionizes the field would be economic dynamite you could completely revolutionize the energy sector and because it's there's so much money in it it's really attractive to charlatans i'm not saying this person is a total charlatan we've been warned about not accusing people of fraud and i'm trying to remember not to do that but if you try to say that you've created this amazing material that's going to revolutionize photovoltaics and you don't even give basic information about its efficiency you 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 may as well just be saying anything you may as well be saying that you know wellington boots are going to revolutionize the energy sector for all the good it does yes i think um that uh that just generally the lack of quantitative information that is provided uh certainly by the james dyson award uh summary yeah. but of course the brains dyson award summary is not uh, a scientific uh journal um and yeah. but but i mean based on the searches that i've done it's very difficult if indeed at all possible um to find quantitative information about this product not just the efficiency but um indeed structural information i mean uh the uh the the they make sort of statements seeming to indicate that there is some kind of pane of glass and perhaps mm -hmm. this uh this this material is infused into the glass uh mm -hmm. and that the light would uh sort of shine upon it uh the ultraviolet light uh and this material which is infused into the glass this fluorescent material which is extracted from vegetables would uh, absorb the ultraviolet light and then re-emit it uh, and then they claim that uh, the process of total internal reflection which is a yeah. standard property of um, optic optical materials um, uh, would guide the light uh, along the pane of glass to the photovoltaic cells which would lie around the perimeter of the um of the device now this immediately uh, i mean is a it rings alarm bells in my head um, yeah because uh well i mean we can't go into the details of how total internal reflection works but um just the very nature of um incident radiation uh, followed by re-emission uh is that the re-emitted uh, re-emitted light is diffuse um yeah. it is not yeah. coherent uh, or, or ordered, and therefore uh, any uh, total internal reflection is only going to capture, you know, some relatively small proportion of the light which is being fluoresced, uh, yeah. uh, which is another source of inefficiency on top of the any inefficiency that occurs during the process of uh, absorption and re-emission. Um, yeah. uh, so you know, it's it's there are many many questions that are raised just based on the fundamental description of how it's going to be 
constructed. Yeah. And I mean, there's a there's a, a sort of more structural issue that's bound up in that, because one of the, the problems I have with this whole concept is that when people talk about maximizing the amount of energy that you get from photovoltaics, one of the key things that they talk about is the, the solar fluence, right? So the amount of light that is hitting your solar panel, which, you know, obviously is the fundamental limit for how much energy you're going to get out of it. it the energy will be a fraction that's determined by the efficiency of that total amount of energy that's hitting the panel itself. Yes. Now, under normal circumstances, you have a 2D uh, array of solar panels that covers an area, and you're doing that because you're trying to maximize the amount of light that you can get. Fundamentally, this system is taking that 2D array and it's reducing it to 1D. Now, of course, the, the idea here is that the panel itself is going to somehow focus that light so that the whole window is collecting all of that light and funneling it towards the edges via this total internal reflection. But as you're saying, that, that process has some finite efficiency. There's always loss from a total internally reflecting system. If you take an optical fiber, you know, unless an, an optical fiber is something that's perfectly designed to support uh, total internal reflection from a wide range of angles, but that still has some finite loss. Yes. And so if you take this big window you're going to be losing energy and then you're trying to funnel all of that energy onto a 1D strip of photovoltaic. Mm. So just in terms of scaling efficiency, you already have this massive loss just from the, 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 the setup. And that also speaks to something really critical because one of the things that's often a red flag in these sort of slightly fuzzy inventions uh that, that come through things like the James Dyson Award is that they have this one central product that they say is going to do all these amazing things. But then there's always that point where they say, oh, you know, and we'll use this technology to make it work. And it, it's just kind of, you know, spackle, you know, over over the, the cracks in the logic. And in this case, that spackle is the actual photovoltaic because that's what's really creating the power. You know, the... the the, the window itself, this this glass or plastic that's impregnated with this dye, is not generating any power itself. All it's doing is acting to absorb UV radiation and fluoresce. That's all it's doing. Yes, and I guess uh, just to reiterate what you said, um, with photovoltaics, the equation for how much energy they produce is uh, the elements of it are surface area of the photovoltaic cell, and the uh, the the amount of radiation per square meter that's hitting the cell, um, yep. and the intensity of yes. that radiation. And in this particular instance, the surface the the surface area of the photovoltaic cell is artificially small. Yep. Um, the intensity of the radiation is going to be low due to the inefficiencies of the conversion process and the geometry by which the light, uh, the converted light is funneled to it. Um, and the intensity is going to be low just by virtue of the inefficient. Yeah. By, uh, by virtue of the, um, the, the fact that the light is being constantly absorbed and re-emitted uh, by, uh, as it goes from the sun, you know, uh, sorry, from the uh, external world through the device uh, and then eventually to the photovoltaic cell, so it's losing almost yeah. at every uh, fence um, that it's uh, that it's going to have to jump 
uh, in order yeah, and to... that is the opposite of what you want in a photovoltaic system. You want to minimize all the loss points. But there's actually something even even more critical than that, because even if the total internal reflection idea worked perfectly and you had this really intense li- uh, light that was shining on this 1D di- di- array of solar panels, the efficiency of solar panels does not scale linearly with intensity. No. And you can see this. If you take a solar panel and you expose it to sunlight and it then then it will work at whatever it's rated to 20% efficiency or whatever it's if it's a really good one if you take a super bright xenon laser and you fire that at the solar panel it won't show you the same efficiency because the thing is that you if you create very high uh, you if you if you have lots of excitations in one of these panels you start to hit limits where you get these non-linear effects and this is getting rather too technical but it's important because it's a critical flaw in this whole design because the idea is that you can just take all of this light and concentrate it down onto this tiny little photovoltaic and the efficiency will just scale perfectly and it won't no it won't scale so that you can't take a 2d solar panel array and just condense it like this it does it fundamentally doesn't work Mm. I, I guess uh, at this point, I'd like to draw attention to um, one of the uh, things that struck me, uh, one of the more major things that struck me when I was reading the summary uh, in the James Dyson Award uh, statement, um, which is that in the section labeled R&D, um, the, uh, they said that additional research will be done on extracting <laughs> the needed luminescent particles to allow a 100% from the current 80% sourcing of dyes from fruits and vegetables instead of chemical ones. Now, this statement implies that currently 20% of the luminescent material inside the device um, are, in fact, derived from uh, non-natural sources, which immediately, yeah. uh, uh, if I was, <laughs> if this was a, a, um, an academic paper, I would say, well, what, how, how have you determined that any effect that you're measuring uh, is not due to these artificial ones rather than this these these natural sources yeah. it's um, rather like sort of coming out and saying oh we've invented you know a homeopathic painkiller that works just as well as you know the 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 best ones on the market and only 20 percent of our homeopathic painkiller is opium yes that's 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 quite <laughs> a uh, quite an apt comparison um and i i guess uh, uh, another uh, aspect of this um this i feel this is more because i i feel i i should say that um this uh we've obviously derived a significant proportion of what we've talked about from the statement in the james dyson award but you know in, in addition to some extra uh interviews that we read uh with the inventor but um so you know the language that the james dyson award is stated in may well have yeah. been re-edited by somebody who's employed by james dyson i'm not exactly sure how these things are so it may not be the language that the uh that the inventor himself used and um but there is a lot of um use of terms and comparisons to other physical processes that are completely unrelated um yeah. uh, for the purposes of of, of dressing up uh, 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 what is fundamentally quite a flawed idea, potentially. Um, the, yes, judging, uh, judging this. <laughs> that's right. I think that is the technical term. Um, yeah. But um, uh, you know, it, it's it's. I think points perhaps perhaps it's because of the fact that the James Dyson Award 
is fundamentally a business award. It's not a technology award in that yes. it is not awarding somebody with, you know, due to the fact that they have demonstrated that they've made some particular scientific discovery. You know, it's 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 an exercise in business, which is at the end of the day, an exercise in marketing. Um, and yeah, and- exactly. Absolutely. And to me, the worst example of this is that the thing that gives it its bloody name because it's called Aureus because it's supposed let me read this out because this is from the how it works section of the james dyson award both aureus devices borealis solar window and astralis which should be australis so you know just google it for god's sake the southern lights are called the aurora australis not astralis sorry i know that that's being pedantic but it just really hacks me off astralis solar wall uses the same technology derived from the phenomena that governs the beautiful northern and southern lights. No, it doesn't. That is not how the northern and southern lights work. And the fact that they don't understand that is a massive red flag. Because when you have uh, something that, a glass that's luminescent, what's happening is it's absorbing radiation, optical, but in, in this case, but UV. There's a dye that's absorbing that, and then it's re-emitting that light when when so it creates an excitation, that excitation relaxes, and then it re-emits that light. What's happening in the Aurora Borealis and the Aurora Australis is that very high energy particles from the solar wind are colliding with gases in the upper atmosphere and ionizing them. This is not an ionization process. And I know that that seems like a pedantic point, but it's actually really bloody important because it shows that at least the person who wrote this summary fundamentally doesn't understand how solar panels work. Yes, which in uh, when the, the, the core element of their design is solar panels uh, uh, does, you know, inspire doubt. Yeah. For sure. And, I mean, yeah, the rest of this James Dyson summary continues to be really quite confusing. There's a lot of, as we said, kind of a lot of different... Well, like you said, James, it's an exercise in marketing, and it's just kind of piling on these different ideas and justifications. One One of the things that keeps getting mixed in is this idea that buildings are somehow, you know, endangering everybody's health by reflecting UV light onto them. And that this absorbs UV light, so it's not doing that. And yes, okay, it's absorbing some UV light, but unless they're claiming that it's 100% effective, it's not going to work. And actually, one of the things that he says, um, I think in in an interview he gave to The Guardian, I think, he says um, that uh, most buildings, like high-rise office buildings, they have this coating on the outside of the windows that reflects UV, which which many do. And he says this is a problem because it's reflecting UV light onto people in the street. But the reason those buildings have that UV filter is so that if you're working in a high-rise office building that's got, you know, floor-to-ceiling windows, you're not constantly being sunburned by the UV that's coming through the window. So if you take that coating off and you replace it with this thing, and it's not 100% efficient at absorbing UV, all you're doing is endangering the people in the building. Yes, which is not an outcome that anybody wants. So it's just fundamentally badly thought out. And so I feel like maybe it's it, it, it might be a good time to kind of put this in the wider context of research in this area, perhaps. 
Sure. Because this isn't something that just came out of the blue, this idea of using these fluorescent windows. This is actually something that's been around for a long time. Um, and it's explicitly referenced in the in the James Dyson Award information that one of the bases for this, they don't call it an inspiration, which is an important distinction because, you know, they're not acknowledging that the, the people who worked on preceding technologies had any influence on their idea, which is a bit, you know, bad faith. But um, one of the key fun- uh, foundations for this is something called uh, a um, quantum dot solar window. And this was developed by a team working in uh, Los Alamos. Uh, it was published in Nature Photonics in 2014. And on the face of it, this is a very similar technology. So you have a glass, that uh, a specific type of glass called PMMA, and it's been embedded with quantum dots, cadmium selenide and cad- cadmium sulfide. And those quantum dots, which are just like very small spheres of metal, basically, is that fair? Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, I, I mean, we. I don't want to start trying to describe what quantum dots are because we'll be here for hours, but... Um, they absorb light and then they re-emit it at a different wavelength. So similar to what's being described here. But the critical thing about this quantum dot solar window idea is that the the glass that's been impregnated with these quantum dots acts as a waveguide. So to what, what you said before about how when a material fluoresces, it's diffuse. It emits that light equally in all directions. That's not the case here. No. Because the array of quantum dots is designed very much in the same way that you design a um, a uh, a quantum dot laser, the the same kind of glasses that are used in very high powered lasers, where the the resonance in your array of quantum dots has a direction. Yes, I think it's what is uh, uh, commonly referred to as a metamaterial. Indeed, exactly, and. It's so interesting because you read the summary of this in the James Dyson Award and the tone of it is very much critical of the work done by Los Alamos, where they're basically saying, there's a thing here saying, how is it different versus quantum dot solar windows? And they say, Aureus used cheaper materials and as of 2019 has been applied and tested for mech and acoustic... Do we really have to abbreviate mechanical? I mean, it's already bad enough we're abbreviating things to tech, but mech fine anyway tested for mech and acoustic properties for building settings in terms of application aureus has been constantly leading over quantum dot solar windows so that so the the criticism is very much this team in los alamos you know spent ages researching this material it's really expensive you know and look we've got this this guy this 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 young inventor who's got some moldy carrots and managed to do the same thing only better and it just shows a total lack of respect for the actual, like, experienced scientists who've devoted their lives to studying this field. Uh, yes, I think that's true. Although I would say that, um, I, you know, in the minds of the James Dyson Award people, they're, you know, sacrifices on the altar of marketing, as uh, as we've said. And it's, um, you know, it speaks to speaks to business culture. Um, more than perhaps any personal enmity that these people have, or, or just indeed, yeah, it's it's a blasé attitude towards um, 
the efforts of the scientific community as a whole uh, and the, an effort to you know further crystallize this idea of the genius individual inventor um working yeah. uh, counter to uh, and indeed um you know uh, uh, independent from um the rest of the scientific community uh, despite yeah, the, fact the rebel that that's, um, not the case the rebel disruptive tech innovator which is you know the sort of classic archetype and and the james dyson award really kind of captures that because all of the recipients of it they're always people who are well people who've often not even started their careers at all uh people who are still in their undergraduate uh degrees and they've invented something that's going to you know completely disrupt the field that's better than they they've they're only 20 something and they've already outperformed all of their professors that's that's the kind of the story that is being sold here i think it we should say i think it's important to say that neither james nor myself dislike or have anything against young innovators or young scientists no that's correct um it's more a concern that uh these sorts of uh awards have a high profile um largely because you know we live in a society where large business is you know is is known and is has a high profile uh, and therefore the way that these businesses represent scientific research has a significant effect on the way that uh the public interacts and understands science mm-hmm. um and um that's important um, you know. That is really important. I mean, how many people do you think have actually read out who are outside of the field will have read that 2014 Nature Photonics paper versus have read the numerous articles that have been published about this? And I mean, so ultimately, yeah, yeah that, that that that's right. I mean, you know, one can't they can't be expected to read the paper, no, and okay. that and therefore and therefore that's why it's all the more important um, that people like. The, the individuals involved with organizing the James Dyson Award um, make the effort to vet and uh, present such work in the proper context and with the proper caveats. Yeah, indeed. And and it's also just so important that it's great that you have these really young scientists or engineers who want to come up with these big ideas, but what they desperately need at this stage is good guidance like the reason someone the the reason people go and compete to do phd's with well-known professors or or well-known academics is because they want their their experience and their guidance you know it's expected when you have a new phd student or you know a new postdoc who's at the beginning of their career that they will want to strike out on their own they'll want to have their own ideas but the reason people don't just say oh, well, you know, you have a new idea, well, here's, you know, an EPSRC grant, go and make a business out of it, is because they recognise that it takes a collaboration between enthusiasm and experience to make a project actually work. Yes, and and, and also, just in a more, I would say, fundamental sense, um, you know, technologies of, of the type which are going to have a significant impact in this day and age um, require teams of people uh, if mm-hmm. even if it is you know to just to perform vetting and to, to review and uh, to, to, to verify um, you know one man one person one individual 
simply can't do it. Uh, it's not possible. Um, Indeed, and I, I don't. I'm not going to say that this particular person is is arrogant because I don't. I don't know them. But the thing is that awards like this are encouraging them to be very arrogant because the, everything about how the award is phrased and how it's awarded is saying you as 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 the singular individual have revolutionized the field on your own and you don't need anybody else you don't need anybody else's input but like you just said the thing is that that anyone can come up with an idea but actually making sure that that idea really works that 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 it is competitive that you can make it into a product and that you can market it and sell it and that it will be valuable you can't expect one person to have the expertise to do all of that no and i mean uh, at the risk of uh, moving into uh, tangential territory i think the source <laughs> of this um what you just described uh is from the tech industry where yeah. you have people who are in the tech industry you it is possible really to up to, up to a point for one person to create at least the prototype for a product idea or or technology um themselves uh yeah. to the point where obviously it needs scalability and then you obviously need more people um whereas you know when you're doing uh research or developing a product in a space which is is operating in you know fundamental physics territory um mm. or indeed fundamental any science te uh, territory uh, it's 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 just a different ball game, uh, not because you know science is harder than tech, but just by virtue of the fact that you know you're you're dealing in what is essentially a, a continuous space in terms of yeah. you know what is true and what is not true. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, whereas you know in with technology, it's it's a far more um, it's much clearer whether or not something is working or isn't. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would slightly disagree with that. I mean, what, what, to clarify, like when you're talking about technology, you're talking about software yes. programming, right? And and the thing is that when you say fundamental physics is not harder than software and programming, I would say it is, but but not maybe in the in the sense that the the logic or the maths or the barrier to understanding is harder because I don't think that's true. I, th I think they're they're very similar. But the fact that if you're trying to do something like create a new type of photovoltaic, you don't just have to understand how it works and then, you know, write down a process. You also have to actually build the bloody thing, which is what you're saying, you know, and, and the, the, the real world, the physical world often just doesn't cooperate you know you can have a model on paper that you've very meticulously worked out and it you know it's taken you years to understand and, and uses the best expertise and then you try to apply it to a real material and the real material just doesn't work that happens yes. all the time and you know this idea like you say that has been borrowed from the software tech industry that someone can just kind of, you know, sit in their bedroom and learn how to program and they can make something amazing that will change the world. You fundamentally can't do that in material science because making these materials, manufacturing them and testing them requires very specialist equipment and knowledge that you just can't get in a bedroom lab. No. 
So, I guess to wrap up, finally, um, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine uh, uh, earlier this week talking about tech innovation, and he comes from uh, the business sector. Uh, and he was saying that uh, we were talking about the context of uh, another product with, uh, so we say, spurious uh, uh, origins, uh, mm. Theranos, uh, which was a company which um, claimed to have developed a device for testing blood that did it in a very using a very small quantity of blood uh, and administered like diagnosed and administered um, treatments uh, all on a wearable device uh, which turned out to be uh, not uh, non-existent um, yes. and currently uh, the founder is uh, in court uh, on charges of wire fraud to the tune of nine billion dollars mm -hmm. um, and I was questioning how one could as a investor with 20 million or 30 million or half, you know, however much money, uh, large quantities of money, um, could invest in such a, uh, a company um, when even a, you know, cursory uh, investigation of the core technology uh, by, um, by somebody with a scientific background would have revealed that it's very unlikely that what they were proposing uh, was possible. And he said to me that, well, ultimately, a lot of these VC firms and these investors, they don't, they, they see it as, uh, or investing in startups as a, an exercise in gambling, essentially, where, you know, you have an, uh, an inkling and intuition about perhaps how these things might go, but ultimately, it's a high risk investment, and you're prepared to let that money go. Um, and what I think that, and it was, it was interesting to me because, you know, that's, if I had $20 million, that's definitely not the way I'd be investing. Mm. Um, but it, 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 it meant that it painted this picture of tech investment where it's essentially an exercise in, in speculation gambling mm. uh, and not an exercise in, you know, studied investment. Um, and I think it creates an environment in which products like the one we've been discussing today flourish because yeah. all you have to do is create something uh, or you don't even need to create something. You can yeah. say you've created something. I'm not saying that that's the case in this case, but um, it, it's possible that you can just claim to have created something. And if you dress it up in the correct language and you convince the right people that you are telling the truth uh, and that such that they will vouch for you, then there's no reason why you can't attract huge amounts of funding. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the question, I mean, you know, you can argue that, that this is a bad thing for science um, and, you know, this is a, a bad thing for humanity because we're not making the best use of resources. Um, but, uh, you know, for, in my mind, it's just, it seems like uh, an, something which could be avoided just by basic due diligence which just doesn't seem to be done i think uh, there's a couple of things there i mean one thing is that you say you know if you had 20 million dollars that's not how you would invest it i think one of the points is that these people don't have 20 million dollars they have far more than that and 20 million dollars is pocket change to a lot of these people uh, which is why they're willing to risk it um and also you know you said that this is this this kind of speculative gambling creates an environment in which this kind of product can flourish, but it's also this kind of uh, person. And I'm not saying, like you pointed out, I'm not saying that Aureus is Theranos. It's not. There, you know, there's nowhere near as much money on the line, and Aureus has something 
there is a product there of some kind. Don't know exactly what it is or whether it really works, but there's something there. But the key thing about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos is that what made it work was her. She sold this story to all these people about the young, disruptive, genius inventor that so many people wanted to believe in. And that that's yeah. the thing that's the thing that is always in common with these kinds of inventions. It's even in common in this one. Now, the, the, the guy here, let me find his name, Carvey uh, Aaron Megu, I think. I think Megu or Megue. Anyway, the, th- this guy isn't an Elizabeth Holmes type character, but still, the invention is not just being sold on, here's something I've come up with that you know could have this really important effect on the energy market. It's also he's selling himself. He's saying, I am a young innovator. I am disruptive. You know, I am, I fulfill this image of this, you know, young genius that people desperately want to believe in. And yeah, you're right. If you can convince somebody that you fit this archetype, then you can get this huge investment. And I suppose one of the things I think about your your description of that Uh, process of capital investment is it is bad it's a lot of money and it's being wasted on things that don't work and these people should be exercising proper due diligence but ultimately if they risked their money and they lost it and the company that they invested in failed it would be annoying because and it, it would be bad for a lot of people because that money could have done a lot of good elsewhere but ultimately that is at least capitalism working as it's supposed to work even if we might disagree as to whether that's a good thing. Yes. But the thing is that it often doesn't work that way, because what often seems to happen is the money gets invested, and rather than use that money to set up their business and manufacture their product and sell it and make it profitable, these you know tech innovators, they take that money and they use it to further that marketing campaign, to to present their product at Davos, to, you know, fly to here and there to, to give demonstrations, to buy expensive marketing firms to, to sell them and their ideas. And then that increase in their image attracts more funding that they then use to continue to sell that image that attracts more funding. And it's almost like a pyramid scheme. I'm not saying this is a pyramid scheme. It, it It's pyramid shaped, but it's not a pyramid scheme. But it... it 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 is almost like that where where the the investment only exists to sell the dream of this disruptive tech innovation to more investors who will continue to invest and keep the party going and yes, so I'm... many of these so many of these companies never produce a marketable product yes and i think uh, this calls back to uh, a statement i made earlier which is that this business model is 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 taken from the tech industry where it's well established that one of the best ways to make money in tech is to come up with an idea create a startup um uh, uh generate uh some interest uh and then um essentially operate at a loss where you're uh constantly spending money to expand without actually generating any profit until eventually either you can sell the company to somewhere like one of the big tech giants um, or it all falls over. And that works in a tech environment because 
you have these, you know, companies who are prepared to pay, you know, huge amounts of money. So from a business perspective, it works. Um, but that that just doesn't work in the case where you have, you know, no actual viable products and you're not in the tech sector. Yeah. But sometimes it doesn't even work in the tech sector. I mean, what you said there about running at a loss until you can sell to a big tech company. I remember reading about someone who did this recently who was, you know, sell it that their whole career now, I won't name them because I probably, if anyone was listening to this, I might get myself into trouble. But this person, they had been working in the tech sector, specifically on machine learning. And they'd started dozens of companies, uh, with very vague products related to machine learning. And none of those companies had run at a profit. Several of them had gone bankrupt and shut down. But eventually what they did was they hit on a product which wasn't still wasn't marketable. They still weren't making a, pro- a profit on the product itself, but they managed to market the company for long enough and make it look exciting enough that um, a... Uh, a, a an equity firm that was investing in, um, uh, sorry, like a venture capital firm rather, that was investing in tech startups, bought it for $20 million and then they just bailed. And now their entire career is to go around and, you know, be a entrepreneurial um, coach. And that that is just such a common story. And it's common enough that you have to think at some point, all of this dumped money, all this wasted capital has to come back to haunt people eventually. Like, you can't keep this party going forever. (laughs) Well, potentially. I mean, as long as the people, a sufficient number of people are making a sufficient amount of money, I think the party will continue to go on. You think, I mean, even if people are just acquiring, I mean, a tech company that has no marketable product and where its invention is fundamentally physically flawed, surely that's, that's, the definition of a toxic asset, isn't it? And if you've got people well, who are yes. just buying up toxic assets ad nauseum. Well, but the key thing is that as long as one enough of those assets, uh, of the subset of assets that you buy are profitable, I see. then it offsets any losses that you have. And that's the nature of high-risk investment. Mm. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a gambling strategy and some people who are operating on that strategy lose and eventually fall out of the game. But, you know, it's the it's it's the it's the gambler's fallacy it's the enough people who go into it believe that they're going to be the ones to make the right picks um and then you know the people who do make the right picks are very visible uh, in mm. that they become very wealthy and very powerful so um, the the tiny subset of tech companies that actually produce something saleable are just subsidizing oh completely all of this nonsense yeah very that's that's a pretty good summary of the situation i think yeah. so i guess the the sign off is tech investors like learn something about the fields you're investing in for god's sake and if you can't be bothered to learn about it then at least talk to someone who can (laughs) yes i think that's a fair fair summary james and i are free (laughs) you know i mean we're happy to take checks for whatever no not really i'm not allowed to do that i'll get fired (laughs) yeah probably unwise 